This week on Unashamed. I'm a downer to my family. I cause my family problems. Okay, these can all be that first hint of a warning sign that a person could be contemplating to take their life. You know, my mom, her last hospitalization was when I was 18 years old. And then I told her, I, th I said, I think my mom's going to kill herself. I had to leave and go to school, but I left my mom in bed and I really think my mom's going to kill herself. That's coming up now on Unashamed. Hi, I'm Teresa Weekly and I'm in my basement this week. Um, my project right now is I finally found a piece of wood I needed for this whole back wall. It's 16 feet long here. Uh, the, the wood is and it was hard to find it, but eventually, hopefully soon, we'll turn it into a window ledge. So that's the next project, but the countertop over here is done and then the shelves will be after that. So we're making progress. I've had a couple of pretty heavy conversations this week as I continue to process everything that happened with my sister's suicide a year ago. Um, what I'm realizing, one thing I'm realizing is that there are so many resources out there and it can be so helpful if you actually take advantage of them. I wish I had done that while Tara was still here, but it never is too late, whether you've lost someone or um, you're struggling with a family member or a loved one who has an addiction or has a mental health issue that they're working through, reach out to one of the places that you'll hear about in this episode because they just can give you so much, so many tools to deal with what you're going through that can really help. So I had a different plan for this episode this week. Um, I talked with a woman who about a year ago, around the same time my sister died, attempted suicide and survived. And I intended to share that conversation. Uh, as part of it though, I first wanted to share a conversation I had with um, someone who could help talk about what language you should use when you're talking to someone who has um, mental health issues that they're struggling through and when, you, and when you're talking about mental health. Her name is Christy Buck. She is a director of the Mental Health, West, mental health Foundation of West Michigan, um, which has the Be Nice Action Plan. Notice, invite, challenge, empower, and Christy helped come up with it. I've talked to her about it so many times before, uh, but I had no idea that part of the motivation behind it came from her own experience and challenges that she faced as a teenager in her own family. And I just found that out having this conversation with her. In talking to someone, specifically someone who's struggling, what do we need to keep in mind? Because it, it feels impossible to start these conversations. So when you're starting a conversation with anyone, you don't want to find fault with anything that they're doing right now or things that might be making you frustrated and angry about their behaviors, nothing like that. So what I like is when you first start a conversation with anyone that you're worried about, you start with what you're noticing that has changed in them. So I like to start with um, how I'm noticing the difference of what is typically good and right. So typically um, you call me back right away. Typically you come to family functions. Typically you're not drinking so much as you're drinking right now. Um, typically you're going to work, you're going to school. Um, typically you're not, um, you're not, you know, making excuses for different things. What's going on? So what I did initially was I pointed out the good, the right in them, and then I'm gonna notice the difference. 
So when I'm telling them what they typically, I'm seeing that they usually are, and now you're doing this. So it's not, why are you doing this? Right, exactly. Okay. You're not going to work. Why aren't you going to work? No, usually you go to work and you go to work on time. But I'm noticing lately that you're not going to work. Um, I'm noticing that you're not concentrating while you're at work. So this, this plan obviously is for the gamut of everyone. So that could be peers, coworkers, neighbors, my kids, my spouse, whomever. So then you're gonna notice what is typically good, right, and what you're noticing that is different. And so you how, invite yourself. How does yourself. that change the conversation? Because it's not an attack. And so you're not accusing them of anything, but you're opening up the conversation of, these are the good and right things about them. And these have taken, I've taken notice of the good and the right in you for me to now be brave, be bold, to invite myself to have a conversation with you. Okay. Right away, there's no defensiveness. And again, next step in the Be Nice Action Plan is to invite. I'm gonna invite myself to have this conversation with them of what I have noticed. And so I would go into that, just like, like what I said. How do you start a conversation? hey, I've noticed that you've been coming in late lately and that is just not like you. You're always a person that when you get here, you're on time, you start the pot of coffee. I mean, I'm pulling out whatever I know is now different and I wanna start that conversation. Okay. Now, this could be um, at the onset when I'm first seeing something different, which Teresa, that is ultimately when really I like to see people having conversations is when I first notice differences. So coming down the way, I know that at that point of challenge, my next step in the Be Nice Action Plan, that may be my opportunity to challenge the person with some resources. Um, that challenge piece might lead to this conversation of, no, I'm okay. You know, what do you think I am, crazy? No, you're challenging stigma. No, I didn't say that at all. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about what's going on. I'm worried that you're not going to work. I'm worried. And telling them exactly, reiterating those things. Therefore, you're bringing up an ease of a conversation surrounding mental health, okay? Because at that point, that person might be embarrassed what's going on. They might feel guilty. There may be shame, and I gotta, knock down that barrier because the number one barrier to people seeking help and treatment is stigma, what other people are going to think about me. It could be at that point of challenge, um, I can't afford treatment. I wouldn't even know where to get it anyway. And that's where people have to have in their pocket right then, what are some resources? Where could I lead this person? So luckily um, on our website and in the county, there's a brochure and it is a brochure of what to do when you're in a crisis situation or where to go seek help and treatment. Because it is a little bit different if you have insurance and if you don't have insurance. Then, Which a lot of people who have been through this before are not insurable. They might not be insurable. Yeah. You got it. So that is where you have to connect with your local community mental health system. And in each county there may be a different one. But oftentimes, somebody out of embarrassment and shame doesn't want to make that first phone call or they don't want to go on their own. And what that's, if, yeah. What if it's beyond embarrassment and shame? What if there are legal ramifications or family ramifications um, to where they're living, where their children are living? Okay, so that is where, again, that shame and the stigma, that is part of it. That is that shame and stigma. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to go there. It may even be I've already tried that place before. But now what I have done, I'm on this journey with them right now. 
So it may be sitting beside them to make that first phone call. It may even be part of me taking my time in my day to go with them to this place where maybe they've been before and they had a bad experience. Maybe it's gonna be me to be their advocate, to sit beside them that could bring about that comfortability. Um, now again, there could be three different scenarios that we could go into with three different podcasts. One is the onset of a mental illness, two is resistive to treatment, not wanting to go get help, and then the third one could be when I'm in a crisis situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you got all different scenarios well, going on. Well, let's right talk now. about the crisis situation. Yeah. So then at the challenge piece, okay, so now I'm in a situation where, you know what? I've been um, having conversations with this person, or maybe this is the first time I'm having a conversation, and the person suddenly drops a hint to me by something they may say. Um, I have no purpose in my life. There's no reason why I should be alive. I'm a waste of a human being. I'm just a pain to my family. I'm a downer to my family. I cause my family problems. Okay, these can all be that first hint of a warning sign that a person could be contemplating to take their life. Okay, and then that is that next step in that challenge where I need to be having that open conversation. And the open conversation is bringing it back to them. Okay, this is what's going on. I've been noticing that you've been not coming around lately. You've been drinking more. You've been um, isolating yourself. I've even seen you get super angry where you're yelling at me on the phone. And typically, you're not like that. You're a person that I can call and you know we can talk and have conversations. I'm really worried about you. Well, you know what, I'm a pain anyway. I'm, you know, I'm a worthless person, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad whatever. You know what, I'm really worried about you right now. Because saying those type of things, telling me that you're a bad person and you're not even worthy of being in my life or that I'm a pain to everybody really concerns me and I'm gonna ask you this right now. Are you thinking about killing yourself? So Just that, that bluntly. That blunt. You know, you could say, are you thinking about ending your life? Are you thinking about suicide? But that one question is direct enough that lets that person know that you, as a listener, as an inviter, are paying attention to the conversation. And when I ask the question, typically um, I repeat it also. Oftentimes when you go back and you let that person hear what they just said, what does it give you a clue? It tells you that that person's listening, that person's paying attention to me, that person must really care about me. And with asking the question, that is one thing. Oftentimes, somebody's never been asked that question. And that gives them the opportunity to answer that. If they say yes, then I know that I've got more questions I need to ask. One question can be, have you ever felt like this before? What does that question do? That question opens up conversation if one, they have had thoughts about it before. Two, they may even open up and say, I have attempted before. So in my head, I gotta remember that somebody who has attempted before is at a greater risk to take their life. Now, if they said, yes, I've thought about it before, more conversation can be, so what'd you do for yourself when you were thinking that way? What helped you at that point? Yeah. So what's that doing? It's instilling in them that thought process of, what got me through this the that last time? they can get through it. Exactly, because it could be that I was in counseling that I was able to access help at work, whatever helped them at that point, that 
thing may still be there for them, right? Now, it could be the last time I felt like this, my mom really was the person to help me through this. She was my helper. Well, would you be able to get a hold of your mom right now? Well, no, she died. Okay, you with me? So this, all of these conversations are leading to me gaining, gaining more information about that person also. Now remember, when I'm teaching this to just lay people, you're not a counselor. These are conversations to have to gain more information and ultimately to get someone help and treatment. So at this point, I'm having this conversation. They've stated yes. They've possibly stated that they've felt this way before. I'm getting to them on what's helped before. And then at that point, that's possibly the time that I'm able to give them maybe a crisis helpline to call that point. Do you think, would you talk to someone on the phone right now about your thoughts and feelings? Because I'm not a counselor, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna sit here with you. I am I'm not gonna leave you and I'm not gonna not let you get some help until we're done with our conversation right now. So that could be at the point where I'm gonna call a local helpline, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which I know you're gonna put those phone numbers up. Um, locally, there's always phone numbers to be had. So I might have to Google wherever I am listening to the podcast right now, I might have to find out who are my local resources for helplines. So at that point, um, high statistics, I'll be honest with you, show that even a five minute conversation can change that person's thoughts about taking their life. A five minute conversation. So if I can keep them talking, I can get them working through what they can do, how they can get help, and ultimately what I'm instilling in them, Teresa, is hope, okay? And that's oftentimes one of the biggest barriers is that feeling, it's hopeless. I'm never gonna be able to take care of these situations in my life. I'm never going to get rid of that problem, that situation that is bringing me so much distress, angst, depression. And that's what every conversation needs to and has to lead to instilling hope. The reason I'm coming to you with this and the reason for this whole podcast is yeah. because of the experience that I had with my sister. So a lot of the questions I ask will be based on that experience. Um, when you have someone like her who has attempted multiple times before, and as you said, if someone's attempted once, then the statistics are high that they mm. will again you know that they're in this place and that this is possible. Um, but there's also addiction. What do you look for when things seem to be going well and then that's when something bad happens? Uh -huh. I mean, how do you know at that point, if, especially if you don't live with them and you maybe, maybe don't even talk to them every day? You got it. So, you know, I always like to reassure um, survivors of suicide, okay, that no one is to blame for this in the end because this person ultimately did make that decision. And unfortunately, a death by suicide often leaves people with that feeling of what could I have done differently? What could I have done? And it's not that you couldn't have done anything, okay, because I'm not a believer in, you know, sooner or later the person would have died. I'm never a believer in that. But this is where um, greater understanding after you lose someone that no one was to blame. The person ultimately did make a, a bad choice. They did because now what they've done is they've left a lot of people behind again 
wondering what I could have done. So I like with um, anyone who is struggling with a mental health disorder and family members in their lives, making sure you're just constantly giving them resources. And you have to set boundaries because at some point you have to take care of yourself also. And um, addictions, mental illnesses, they can have a great burden upon family members, just like any illness, okay? It can bring a lot of stress into a home anytime, anytime, right? So I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, but I'm gonna have resources at my disposal constantly, and I'm going to be giving my loved one resources. I'm gonna be offering to take them if they're willing to go for help and treatment, I'm gonna be there. Um, obviously with addiction disorders, there's a whole nother, um, I say support network for people that have a loved one that's struggling with addiction. And I cannot push enough for people to go join support groups. I know here we have Al-Anon and, and Narcanon. Yeah, um, huge. And I do, I wish I had joined those groups before at this point. Because and that's what you're coming out from the podcast. Same yeah. with for mental health disorders, mental illnesses. NAMI, an amazing organization, um, has been around for decades, but is one of the best organizations to find when you have a loved one who's struggling because um, you're with, you're with family, you're with people that they do. They know what you are going through. They have gone through it or they are still going through it. And I love it. So, you know, that, that's that empowerment piece. So ultimately empowerment is, is my favorite step because there's an empowerment piece where someone who's struggling with mental illness, they're, they have access, they're utilizing services, access to utilizing services. They're surrounded with people that they can trust. They're surrounded with people that um, love them and wanna help them. That's a huge thing when you can get to that point where, mm -hmm. wow, my whole journey, you've been there with me. And maybe it's when they're in recovery, right? From their illness, from their addiction, okay? Those are those protective factors that are built. and. Um, when someone really does know what those protective factors are, then that's that self-awareness piece that, wow, I got that in my back pocket. I remembered what helped me before, okay? We need to remind people of that. That empowerment piece for family members who are either um, living with someone with the illness or for someone who's lost someone, that's at that empowerment piece also, um, gain more knowledge empower myself that I've got these resources in my back pocket to be handing out to anyone, anytime, who might be struggling, and for myself, knowing what I need, right? Knowing what I need to do for myself right now. And so for you, you have empowered yourself, Teresa, with this podcast. You are ultimately empowering yourself to gain more knowledge, to um, gain more information about suicide, about ad addiction, about illnesses. I'm just interrupting a moment because this is the point in the conversation where Christy started talking about her mom. And it makes so much sense to me now why she is so passionate about this action plan and why she clearly knows so much about how to approach mental health. So I grew up in a house with a mom that was struggled with um, clinical depression and I was really young when she had her first catatonic breakdown. Um, but as an adult now, 
Okay, if I would have had information as a 15 year old about what a mental health disorder is, what a mental illness is, um, I think I could have, I think I ha would have had the tools to recognize in my mom before she ever got as bad as she did get. I know I could have. Because when I look back, um, when my dad died a year into after his death, I noticed so many things about my mom that she had let go in her life. And so then when she did get very, very, very sick, um, and was hospitalized for a month the first time. Um, you know, it definitely we lived with shame and stigma and we couldn't really talk about that experience that she was going through. Uh, and as an adult, when I was getting older, did I really understand that um, with the right knowledge about mental health disorders, people can get better. But it's early conversations that we need to have. So, um, obviously that's shaped your life it sure has and it has helped me to see that the power within people uh, to follow through with going to appointments um, taking your medication as prescribed I mean that's what kept my mom going now it didn't mean that you know my mom her last hospitalization was when I was 18 years old and I remember that vividly uh, here I am, you know, I lost my mom when I was 39, and, but my mom would go through cycles. So I would see when she wasn't doing well again. Yeah. And my sisters and I would talk about it, and we had a term for when my mom wasn't doing great. She would really be just cocky and just mean. And it was just like, that's not my mom. Just real kind of a, we would call her a smart ass, I'll just mm -hmm. say it. <laughs> and I would have to call my sisters, they all lived far away. Yeah, she's in an essay mood right now. You know, so what it told me was um, these cycles. And then when I was getting older, I finally figured out that they were all hormonal changes that she was going through. That entire time where she would weave in and out of these mood swings were associated with her mental health disorder, mental illness. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I remember one time, Teresa, I was terrified when I was in high school. Um, I had to leave my mom to go to school, and my mom wouldn't get out of bed to get me to school, and I was that type of a student. I got to be in school. So I had to call a friend to take me to school that day. Didn't talk about what was going on at all and why I needed a ride. And when I arrived to school, one of my best friends, she could see that I had been upset when I arrived. She said, what's going on? So we went to the bathroom and I told her, I, th I said, I think my mom's gonna kill herself. I had to leave and go to school, but I left my mom in bed and I really think my mom's gonna kill herself. I don't even know what I was talking about. This is 19, you know, 1979. So this girlfriend of mine got in the car, we left school and we drove to my house and she stayed in the living room when I went into my mom's bedroom and I just, you know, I was screaming at her and I just remember the fear. I was terrified. And I didn't even know that that's the thing I should have been doing, was asking her if she was gonna kill herself. Um, but my mom, you know, in her state of depression at that point, did say I would never do that. Now, now I know that she could say that to me to make me feel better. But getting help and treatment right that and there would be what you need to do. And I did that, I called my uncle and I said, I think my mom is really feeling really bad right now and she needs to go to the back to the hospital so that's what we had to do so you so. basically learned all of this with real life experience oh yeah 
Yeah. And you know, ultimately, Teresa, that's why I did um, what I did when I first got this job with the Mental Health Foundation. I was um, given the opportunity to be the director, and it was more just about awareness. And finally, I got to speak in a high school to some high school students, and um, it was all about stigma, and it was about the illness. And then the teacher asked us to come back the next week. Will you come back and speak again? We just love your information. I think you're better than a, a psychology book. So I left, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so empowering to be providing students information that I never had. So that's how we all started, all the programs that we're doing now. And that's why I love Be Nice. I love the action plan, I, I do. I could talk about it all the time because I think it's so simple and it's just four steps that I know if I would have known it back when my mom was first struggling, she would have gotten help earlier. And she always should have. She always should have been in counseling right away after my dad passed away. I'm a believer, true believer in counseling and therapy, Yeah, 100%. Well, I look forward to talking a lot more to you this year yep. and in the future about um, getting that message out at a younger age mm -hmm. and how you're doing that and how to have more of these conversations, not just when someone's in a crisis or you suspect that, but co-workers or mm -hmm. family members who are just struggling, but you don't necessarily think they're, you know, leading up to that place. Yep. So, uh, but I appreciate your time today Good. talking to me about this. Christy Buck with the Mental Health Foundation, and you can learn more about the Be Nice Action Plan and the details of this episode, and we'll have those phone numbers that we discussed as well. So thank you. Good, thank you. So I'm challenging myself this week to join a support group. There are many available. I have several listed in this episode in the details. Uh, you can check out the links there, NAMI being one of them. Anyone that, of these groups that you think would fit your situation, I encourage you and challenge you to join one as well. You can also go to benice.org and subscribe to learn more about this program. You can sign up um, as part of the action plan and take the pledge. Um, you can also subscribe to this channel so that you can follow along on this journey to continue to learn more about how to tackle these different issues and, and how you can make a difference in your own life and hopefully make a difference in the lives of others as well. And coming up in the next episode, you'll hear from the woman that I talked to about the day she tried to end her life. That's in the next episode of Unashamed. Take an upstream approach to mental health with the Be Nice Action Plan. Notice what is right and different. Invite yourself to reach out. Challenge stigma. Empower yourself and others with knowledge and resources. Learn more about each step of the action plan so you have confidence to take action when it comes to mental health.